Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 4-23-2023. We're continuing our worship service. We're going to continue with the thought of the week and prayer. Go right ahead. And here we have the thought of the week. Opening with a phrase from Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verse 18, or rather the entire verse. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. The apostle prays that we would know the hope of our call. Since God planned such exceptional things for us, it is also important to him that we know exactly what he accomplished in grace. If you do not know the hope of your calling, it is for you to learn as you grow in knowledge and wisdom. Our calling is stated in terms of riches. This is from God's standpoint, and we should recognize its importance so as not to squander this wealth. Can you see this incredible wealth? If you can, I'm sure you will pursue it. This calling will consume you and motivate you to learn more and more about what God has made of you in Christ. It should be easy to learn when it comes to learning about our own inheritance. As we learn more, as we learn about Christ our Lord and what is true of him, we are also learning about the height to which God has raised us with him. Since Christ is in the position to rule all creation, we are also there, quote, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come, unquote. And that's from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 21. And there we have the thought of the day, and I'd like to offer a simple commentary on that, that the ingredient in salvation and growing as a Christian that is essential to both is humility. We have the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Truth who is working to influence us about the reality of God, God's reality and his eternal plan for us. While salvation is free and given to us by grace, it is not of ourselves, it is not of work. Certainly growing up in Christ does take effort. There is plenty of information that goes into great detail to describe this incredible wealth that we have been given. And we must assimilate it and, and humble ourselves to the spirit of truth to be able to understand it and take it in. Take it in not only into our minds, but into our hearts as well. <clears throat> this is God's eternal plan for the church, which is the body of Christ. So that not only are, is everyone saved as he would desire, he also wants to bring people into the full knowledge of the accurate truth for his people. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now we'll go to Fred for the prayer. Thank you, Fred. Thank you, Dwight. Um, at this time, I'd like to ask uh, anybody who has prayer requests 
they can bring them forward, we can bring them to the throne of grace. Fred, I think you already know the prayer request is on my heart about the Haddon family, so that's what I would Yes, indeed. <clears throat> yes, indeed. I would also like to pray for Deborah's father, um, who had recently fell and felt some kind of injury to his shoulder. Um, the doctor didn't find a fracture, but um, Deb suspects that there may have been one on the x-ray. Um, so whatever the accurate interpretation of the x-ray is, I pray that he would heal quickly. Thank you. Alrighty. Okay, at this time, uh, let us take all our cares to you, to, to the Father as in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to come and worship, Lord, and worship in your holy name. Thank you, Lord, for watching over us continually and providing help and strength to bring us Father, to this very moment, your loving kindness and your care for us that never abates. We're thankful and grateful, Lord, for our life, our health, our reasonable portion of strength and health that we have. Lord, asking that you would continually, Lord, give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so we might know the purpose that we're here and the hope of our calling and why and that Lord you would give us the spirit that would continually so that we have the humility to seek out your will uh, as a spirit that we don't that we don't block the communication of the Holy Spirit who's trying to reveal as we take in truth that we might understand the things, the deep things of God that he wants us to understand so we can make applications here in this life. Asking Lord that you bless the pastor and the, the, the church, the word is truth, that you will continually, Lord, watch over us and keep us, Lord, as we go forward. Uh, as I'm asking also blessings for the book, the gospel according to Doug, that you would continue, Lord, to bless his, bless the, the book and its endeavors, as the title has says, one reader at a time, Lord. Asking, Lord, that we have sick among us, and uh, we're asking special prayer for the Haddon family. Uh, in particular, Kenny Sr., who is in intensive care, uh, you know uh, his needs that you would come by and, Lord, give him some comfort and some healing, Lord. Send some healing his way. This is your will that you would continually watch over and keep him, Lord. His the entire Haddon family, Gail. Uh, Kenny Jr., who also has health problems that you would see about them. Uh, asking, Lord, for Deb's father, who suffered a fall, that you would come by and help the doctor, Lord, reveal the problem that continually bothers him.
so that healing may occur. We're thankful again, Lord, for these blessings. And again, as we go forward, that we might have the humility uh, to look away from ourselves and avail ourselves to the plan of God that he had for us individually from eternity past. All these things I ask in the blessed and righteous name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who paid the penalty for our sins in Christ's loving name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Dwight. Thank you, Fred. I appreciate that. And um, we are moving forward into where we are in Galatians chapter 2. <clears throat> you, you all should have notes. So let's, let's get right to it. I know usually we end up having limited time. So here we go. Uh, in Galatians 2, in your notes, the Apostle Paul established his calling and decisions made to keep it authentic. This new calling comes with a new dispensation revealed at Pentecost, just as Jesus promised. Paul reveals details about his ministry and establishes himself among the other apostles. He received the right hand of fellowship from his peers, and there was agreement on how to proceed. Paul recalls an incident with Peter. <clears throat> he saw the Jewish influences on the church and quickly addressed the matter publicly. This gives Paul an opportunity to show the metal of the new revelation. It also confirms and establishes the hidden theology and foundation of the church going forward for all the apostles. So we covered a lot of this, but <clears throat> we are, we're going to start at verse 8. And in review, I'm just going to read um, some of the previous verses so we can these catch up to what we have covered and what we thought about. Galatians 1, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus also along. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders. <clears throat> I presented them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running or had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and make us slaves, and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. <clears throat> so this is where we are in our notes, chapter 2, verse 8. And this is where we're going to pick up. Uh, <clears throat> God was at work in Peter as an apostle 
to the circumcised was also at work, and me as an apostle to the Gentiles. So the first point is A, um, <clears throat> notice that God was at work in both Peter and Paul, the two most dominant leaders of the early church. And I must say, <clears throat> this is uh, a, a clear understanding that it is only one gospel and one way. There are a lot of people, and I know um, some people who don't care for dispensations or that there is a new way other than Israel, they would vie for, just like they did in the early church, that we continue under the Mosaic Law, that the church really should be Jewish. There are others on the extreme side who are hyper, what I call hyper-dispensationalists, who say, oh, yeah, well, Peter and the other apostles, they had the kingdom message. Only Paul had the message of grace for us. And they split the scriptures up and try to say that, oh, certain chapters are not uh, for us, uh, and other chapters are, are. I mean, it just confuses the matter. But no, that is not the case at all. Paul and Peter, who were, and all the leaders who, who were in the early church in Jerusalem, met, <clears throat> talked about what was different, but they came to the same conclusion that this is the revelation God has given us. They were the, most, the two most dominant leaders in the early church, was Peter and Paul. And so what we come to realize is that we have the same message. Peter didn't, even though Peter might have been successful among the uncircumcised, uh, it says Paul was successful among the circumcised. You know, Paul was a Pharisee. And if you ask me, who will be better equipped to go to the Jews and be more successful with the Jews, I would say it would be Paul, because he knew the ins and outs of Hadi, everything. But, but Peter was a fisherman. He wasn't a professional religious person like Paul was. And yet, he was more successful with the circumcised, not Paul. Now, it could have been a couple reasons there. First of all, I would say here's the reason God gave them whatever gift he gave them as apostles. And whatever abilities they had or were successful or not, has to do with what God has in, given them. So it's not necessarily attributed to what they were when they were unsaved. <clears throat> and then, I think a lot of Jews, there were a lot of Jews who thought that Paul was a traitor. And they would never listen to a, a thing he said. In fact, there was all sorts of uprisings and they got Paul arrested. There were uh, things, secret plots to kill Paul and all kinds of stuff going on. So it could have been part of that as well, that they, Paul could not really uh, speak to them no matter what he said. So there's a scripture in 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16 that I'd like to... So we, we, had, we have an example of what... We're getting ready to have an example in verse Galatians 2.10 about Paul's experience with Peter when they met and what happened uh, when they, he had to give him, you know, uh, he had to brace him, basically. 
But in 2 Peter, we have Peter's thoughts about the Apostle Paul. Let's hear him. I think it's appropriate. We're getting ready to talk about what Paul said about Peter. Uh, well, we need to see what Peter said about Paul. This is a group. Isn't there a group, Peter and Paul or something? Anyway, don't, don't think about that. <clears throat> so 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16 is the verses I, I have in question. What did Peter think? So he says, Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul. Oh, well, Paul is not the enemy to Peter. He is writing about, he says, just as our dear brother Paul. Now listen, it had not always been this way for Peter and the other apostles, because they looked at Paul as the enemy. They said, oh, wait a minute. Are you sure, Lord, that you want this man to be an apostle with us? Because he persecuted the church. He was an enemy of the church. But then Paul turned around. Even though he turned around, it took a little while for people to recognize that and say, okay, he's really serious. He's not out to kill us. He's not out to round us up and have us killed. So it took some time. So Peter did not always have this thought in mind when it came to the Apostle Paul. But notice, it was an evolution of thought. So he says, bear in mind, Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. So now notice, Peter's not saying, yeah, his doctrines are skewed, they're wrong, uh, you know, you need to really focus on what I'm teaching. No, he is saying that there's a wisdom that God gave the Apostle Paul. And I would say that is an endorsement of Paul's ministry. If we didn't know, I mean, of course, we don't have to, we don't need Peter's endorsement of Paul. We have that. Paul is an apostle sent from God. and We already covered that in Galatians 1. But, and he didn't even go to Peter or any of them to get their acknowledgement and say, oh, can I be accepted in your group? No, that wasn't the thought. Paul was accepted by God, and that was those were his marching orders, not from the apostles per se. So, but here we are seeing Peter's thoughts from God the Holy Spirit through the apostle Peter. Six, verse 16, he writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. And what matters? The wisdom that God gave him. And, and so when we're talking about wisdom, we're talking about knowledge, but not only the knowledge, but how we appropriate that knowledge on the ground. That's what wisdom is. So he says, he writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. Now, this is where a lot of Christians say, yeah, but that Apostle Paul, I don't know. He's got some squirrely things about what he says. Uh, we got to be careful. You know, we believe in what uh, Jesus said, but I don't know about the Paul, what Paul said. We, gotta, we can't say it's not true, but we, can't, we, we don't know. Is Peter saying he's, he's questioning? That's not what Peter's doing at all. He already told them that it's our dear brother Paul and the wisdom now here, but wisdom deals with more experience, not much. It's not talking about the wisdom of salvation. Paul dealt a lot with the wisdom of how 
uh, we ought to live the Christian life. What is God the Father's eternal purpose? Right, The mystery that was hidden from ages past and generations, but has now been revealed. Let's talk about it. Many people were not talking about it. And so there wasn't experience in those areas. But well, Paul came along and God gave him special wisdom in this area. So he, so here's what they said. It's hard to understand. But who is it hard to understand for? For a person who's growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord, which he's getting ready to say in 2 Peter 3.18, who is it hard? It's hard for people like this, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. So people think it's pretty smart and whimsical to say that Paul's writings, hey, I don't know if I agree with all of that, but you know, Peter has just called you ignorant and unstable and you are distorting the word of God. So just note, Paul, Paul is not being braced by Peter. Paul is lifted, his writings, Peter is saying, are scripture. He's saying that this is the wisdom that God gave him. This is, these are, these are, when we look at his letters, we are reading what God has given us through the Apostle Paul. Ignorant and unstable people have a problem with Paul's writings. They will say it's foolishness, a lot of the things Paul says. That's why he says in 2 Corinthians 2.14, man without the Spirit uh, cannot understand the things that come from the Spirit. They're foolishness to him, neither can they know them. So this is true. This is true. They, these people distort the Scriptures and notice to their own destruction. But notice 2 Peter 3.18. Well, let's keep reading. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless, the lawless and fall from your secure position. But grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So back to our notes. <clears throat> That's point A. Point B God used each, Peter and Paul, according to their humility. Neither was perfect, but this issue had to be resolved for them and for us. And when we say this issue, we're clear that Paul... Now, here's a point in 1 Corinthians 15.10. I wanted to bring out in this point here, 1 Corinthians 15 and 10. <clears throat> This is what Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. And when he says all of them, he's talking about the other apostles. But then he says, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So this, so this is what Paul preached, what he believed. Notice he says, whether then it is I or they. This is what we preach, and this is what you believed. So he's saying we're on the same page, but he's saying he worked harder. What does he mean he worked harder? He had more humility. That's the only way we can translate that. He had more humility. <clears throat> and because God was able to work through him, as he says, it was not I, 
but the grace of God that was with me. So it was God's grace. Now, Paul was single. Peter had a wife. Uh, there were other things, other factors in the other apostles that where Paul came along, he was on it, man. He said, God, whatever you need me to do. He says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I'm, I live, but not I, but Christ lives in me. He embodied that, that mature understanding that we all should aspire to. Uh, so, And Peter did too. He had... If you read First and Second Peter, you will find scriptures in there that talk of Peter's maturity. The one we just read talks of Peter's maturity. So for sure, uh, Paul, he exercised the will of God through his life. It was not him. It was the grace of God. Point C, the new way of life must prevail if we are going to please God individually. Now think about this. <clears throat> we cannot continue being conformed to the pattern of this world. We have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. God can't use us for his purposes in the world if we're not. It doesn't mean we're not saved or we'll lose our salvation. We won't receive rewards. That's the only thing at stake in whether or not we live the spiritual life. Salvation is by grace. It is, I, don't have to, I shouldn't have to say this, but it is not of ourselves. It's a gift of God uh, so that no one can boast. But let's look at a couple. We need, to, we need to be responsible to live according to what God wants us to. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 5 is the point here to make. Listen to the thought that Paul has. <clears throat> Verse 4, 1. This, then, is how you ought to regard us. When he says us, I would say he's talking about the other apostles. As servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. So the, mystery, the, the stewardship, it, and some of the translations have, uh, is this, he's entrusted this with us, right? So God... This is God's eternal purpose. Once you come to know it and you are gifted in this manner, uh, according to it, you are responsible to God. Right? So, so we could say what God is doing, he's accomplishing his eternal purpose and all that, but then we could turn it on ourselves and say, what are we doing? And how are people to regard us? And Paul is telling you here that we are servants, and we, we are as those who have been entrusted with the mysteries of God. God has hid these things in himself, and now he has revealed them to us. Point uh, verse 2. Now, it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. They must prove faithful. Faithful is what we were talking about. Uh, this is what God asks of us, is that we are faithful. That means consistent reliable, that God can trust us, right? We trusted God with our soul salvation. And God is saying, I'm giving you this important information and I am asking that you be faithful towards it. Uh, three, I care very little if I am judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Now we know we're going to get to the judgment seat of Christ, right? Uh, 
and that's where we're going to receive the, the uh, evaluation for what is due us for the things done while in the body. Verse 5, Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in the darkness and expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. So that's <clears throat> that point is made, hopefully, to say that there is a way of life. If we have a responsibility before God, it doesn't mean that that responsibility, the consequences are that we uh, will be lost if we don't fulfill it. It means that we will not receive rewards or our praise from God for allowing him to use us in time. Now, we should know that Jesus was rewarded. Why? Because he allowed the Father to use him in time. So while Christ was here in the world, it was the we learned from 2 Corinthians 5, with that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting our sins against us, and so forth. All that he was able to do through the work of Christ. Or we should say, through Christ's humility and allowing the Father to use him in the world. It's the same thing for us. As we're in the world, will we allow God to use us? Will we allow his thoughts to prevail and it become wisdom for us? Will we be responsible to him and his thoughts and his plan? Point D, collectively as a church, my evaluation is that we are divided. So many denominations concluding the way forward when the spirit of truth has spoken. <laughs> you would think that God has left us no instruction. He has not told us what to do at all. So that, okay, everybody just do whatever they want to do. And that is not the way. God has instruction. Not only did he give us an introduction for what is coming and what we are to expect, the new dynamics of this new age, but what he has done <clears throat> is he has given us instruction in writing through the epistles going forward. So by that introduction, I'm giving you John 16, 12 through 15. He didn't tell us everything, but he told us enough so that we should be on the edge of our seats waiting for this information. So this is what it says in 12. I have much more to say to you more than you can now bear. This is John 16, 12. But when he, the spirit of truth comes. Now, if you notice, this is not like <clears throat> uh, original thought. He had been talking about the spirit of truth coming all the way back, even if we go back from where we started our study in John 14, where he says, when he, the spirit of truth comes and all that, <clears throat> he would tell him what to do, what he would, it, it even talks about what he will say. He, what he will bring to mind. But then it goes on to say, he will glorify me. This is uh, verse 14. Because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me and will what he will make known to you. So I would say, even if we just took <clears throat> what the introduction was, and it didn't take any of the epistles, we would know a lot about what this age is. 
what this coming age, how the Holy Spirit, it talks about the baptism of the Spirit, how we will be one, all of us will be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. So he says in John 17, 20 and 21, and that they would see my glory, that they will have this glory. On and on, there's a lot about the church age that Jesus Christ revealed. But he told us, even though he revealed a lot, he told us he had much more to say. And that much more is recorded for us in the epistles. So unfortunately, for the most part, it is uh, a lot of it is neglected. It is ignored. It is just relegated to salvation. Oh, these, these scriptures all refer to salvation. When they do not, they're referring to the life that we have coming to the knowledge of the truth and all the different things that God, the stewardship we just talked about, the responsibility that we have, it is neglected. We are stewards of the mystery of mysteries of God, says the Apostle Paul. <clears throat> so many denominations. And if you go from one to the other, they talk about what their plan is. They don't talk about what the Father's eternal purpose is. Now, to the extent that they are talking about the Father's eternal purpose, amen, amen, and amen. I'm with them 100%. But that is the will of God. And we do not accomplish the will of God in this, in this world by following what the world says or what people have learned in darkness. So, so that was Ephesians 2.8, for God who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. Interesting. We are in one accord. So, verse 9, James, Cephas, and John. <clears throat> so, notice that's Peter, James, and John. It's the same ones we saw in the Gospels. These were, when we talk about the, the pillars of the church, here we go. Peter, James, and John, those esteemed as pillars. They gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. So they saw, they saw that, that Paul had been given this. They understood they were on the same page. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the, un, to the circumcised. Excuse me. <clears throat> they to the circumcised. The Gentiles the circumcised, the Gentiles, the Jews. So uh, that's fine. But listen, it didn't mean that Paul couldn't go to uh, the Jews, and it didn't mean that Peter and uh, the others could not go to the Gentiles. That was not the point at all. What they concluded was, hey, we've been successful here. We're going to keep doing that. You have been successful over there. You go ahead and keep doing that. They weren't given... Paul some special charge. God is the one who gave Paul this special charge, not the other apostles, Peter, James, and John. Paul understood, and he was in agreement with them. He said, okay, right? This is what he said. This is what they agreed to, that we should go to the Gentiles, they to the, to the circumcised. Some points about that first. Three of the disciples who walked with Jesus, Peter, James, and John, were Jesus' closest disciples. And they are mentioned here as esteemed pillars. Follow, it follows, just like the eleven 
were um, spoken of after Judas left and Jesus then turned to them and gave them further instruction about what was to come. This is Judas had already left them. This is just the night before Christ was crucified. He had already left them and had gone. Uh, he had already agreed 30 pieces of silver to betray him and so forth. And it left the 11. So here we have three of them who we already have seen uh, were close. In many cases, Peter, James, and John. The other disciples wait here. Peter, James, John, you come with me. And that's how it went down. Point B, esteemed as pillars. Now, recognized as the highest authority in the church by those who regarded them as such. <clears throat> so if we look at this thought when I say esteemed as pillars, esteemed by who? Esteemed by the people uh, who, who they were apostles over. Right? So the, these people, Peter, James, and John, became apostles. And who esteemed them as pillars? It was the people. So the highest authority, that's who. Now when Paul came to initially to those churches in the south, in Jerusalem, where the church was, they didn't have trust and confidence in Paul. They would not have esteemed Paul as a, uh, a pillar. They, would, they were worried about calling him an apostle. But Peter, James, and John were accepted by them. I have 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 11. Let's just quickly look at that. 3 says, For what I received, I passed on to you as first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to the apostles. And the last he appeared, of all he appeared to me, as one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and not deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, we already read this part. <coughs> Excuse me. So, uh, but that's the thought. So, we're talking about those who are recognized, who have the highest authority. Notice, he revealed himself to them. Point C, right hand of fellowship, right? So they agreed because God revealed that he was working through Paul and Barnabas. So notice, it wasn't on Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas giving their logic, their persuasive logic that this was so. They told them of the signs, the wonders, and the miracles that they had established and that God worked through them, the churches rather, that they established and how God worked through them. And once they told them this information, as we saw in the earlier verses, we saw they leaned forward now. They said, okay, God is working. The message Paul has is the message that we have. <clears throat> they accepted Paul, gave him the right hand, <clears throat> excuse me, of fellowship. So that's point number C. Right hand of fellowship means you're one of us. There is no difference between you and us. We are brothers. Point D. They understood each other and were in fellowship together as the highest authority. 
this doesn't mean that they there was harmony through the ranks. So, so it, <clears throat> as we as we saw that the apostles were on the same page, it didn't mean <clears throat> it didn't mean that they were all uh, that. God had fleshed out all of Jude, Judaism and legalism because we're getting ready to come up to an example where uh, Paul has to uh, show to Peter's face. I mean, not he didn't call Peter aside and say, Peter, look, you're wrong. He had to do it publicly. And we have the record of that in Galatians and we're getting ready to cover it. So we're not going to say that they understood everything or, or they were completely in harmony but they were in fellowship they agreed about the direction of the church that's what we should know and we know there were factions in the church people who were believers but they did not hold the same opinions as they did for as paul did with peter james john all the other apostles they did not have the same thought so, so they, point E, they divided up the territory and were satisfied that there was mutual understanding. Grace, notice, prevailed. And they all knew they were not under the Mosaic law. So they understood the Father's eternal purpose. They understood there was a new direction. The major things, even though it was still in some to fight according to the Mosaic Law or for the Mosaic Law for certain things, the leadership was in agreement. Now, I wish, I don't know how we would accomplish this today, where we could get the leadership to agree. I don't know if that would be possible. Only to the extent that we would appeal to the scriptures. For instance, Galatians, the scriptures that do talk about the difference, the change in dispensation. The new, but with the change in dispensation comes a new purpose of God being revealed. Uh, he didn't reveal this purpose in the Old Testament, but now he has revealed this new purpose. So for those who maintain and clamor to go back to the Old Testament, to focus our attention on the Old Testament uh, as the way of life for us, don't understand the New Testament. Don't understand what God has done in the church. And that they reject this new purpose, that the spirit of truth was commissioned and ordained to come and to champion. So this is what's happening. <clears throat> so they, at least we know the leadership was on the same page. And as I said, we have the record. We have the record that says that this is God's way, that it is about us focusing on this new dispensation, and we're not under the law, and we're not to go back to Israel for our modus operandi. That is the record. That is why we have in the Bible the book of Galatians, and there are other, other places where we could certainly turn, but I'm saying the book of Galatians was written for that purpose. That was why. The book of Galatians was written. So let's keep going. <clears throat> we're going to look at uh, verse 10. So we're moving on to Galatians 2 and 10. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. So 
So some points on this thought as we're concluding this section. As they ask, all they ask rather, <clears throat> once the leadership was in agreement on the theology, theology of the church, they turn their attention to the poor. Right? So it was, for them to turn their attention to the poor means, okay, we can talk about some functional issues that we have on the ground. They were, the theology of the church is set. We're all in, and, and we're not just saying, well, we met with the Corinthian church and the Corinthian church agreed. No, we're talking about the pillars. The foundation of the church is here among the apostles. And they were in an agreement that this is the way. So if you try to walk in a different way, no, 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 we can say this is the way. Why do we say that? What authority do we have? We have the authority of the apostles. They have, when, when they were called as apostles and they met and there were differences on the table, they met and they agreed, no, no, the, we are not under the Mosaic law. It is a new way of life. God established. He hid his purposes in himself. He did not reveal them to Israel. And now... He is dealing with the church, and he is manifesting what that new purpose is. So they were on the same... Is there any question about that today? Yes, in many churches, they reject this information, and they exist with the church and the name of Jesus Christ and all of that, but not the eternal purpose that was given to us. So that's something... You can say, well, I can't control the fact that people would not listen to the Scripture, but I can appeal to what the Scripture says. That is my only recourse. If somebody does not want to follow what the, what the new way is all about, the only thing we can do is present to them what the Scriptures say. That's, that is our, it is in there. <laughs> it is like a person says, no, salvation is not by grace. Uh, you you could be saved by keeping the law, right? And we said, well, wait a minute. It says here, that is not so. By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. And no person will be justified. And it is by grace you have been saved, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. We, can, we have the documentation to show that they're wrong. And just like the Bible says, it is good for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And we all should submit to that. Now, not everybody does, but we all should. And this is our only appeal. If per a person is insisting on this way for themselves, there's nothing we can do about it. We can't force them to believe. We, we can't make them eat the word, <laughs> whatever you're going to do. If they resist it, that's up to them. But we should know that this is God's will. And not only is this his will, not only has he demonstrated it through signs, wonders, and miracles, that we know that God is standing behind it, but we know that it is in writing. It is the testimony. It is the record. And it is preserved for us as we look at it now. So let's keep going. In our notes, we're, we're going to finish this thought. <clears throat> Point number B. 
So continue to remember, and he talks about the poor, the persecuted believers were the focus. I don't think the poor of the whole world were the focus, but especially believers in Judea. Now, by me saying that, I'm not insensitive to people suffering in the world, but I am sensitive to what the context is in the scripture. What they were concerned about was the believers who were in Judea. And Judea, again, is the south where all these people were from, right? Peter. This is where the church was born. And the most persecution were from believers in Judea. Remember, believers from Judea had to flee because guess who was there? Saul. <laughs> he was the main engine <clears throat> for gathering and persecuting people. And people, the, the church had to run. They ran to all these outlining areas. They ran to the north, the south, different other areas, the, to the east. They, they got away from the persecution. And that's what, part of how the church was spread. It was spread through persecution. So uh, they were poor as a result. People who were destitute and the church had a responsibility to take care of them. And as we read in some of the scriptures, there's a lot of scriptures. I'm going to read a couple, Acts 11, 29, and 30. Let's just read Acts 11, 29 says the disciples, where is it? Yeah, the disciples, uh, as each one was able, decided to provide help to the brothers and sisters living in Judea, as they did sending their gift by the elders, by Barnabas and Saul. So they took some of the collections, Barnabas and Saul that was, that is, to some of the brothers who were living in Judea. <clears throat> and then there's Romans 15. We also see more evidence of this. Um, and, and throughout Acts, I should say, I only picked a couple of passages. So you should know if you were to read in more detail. There's plenty more for you to look at here. So Romans 15, 25 through 27, it says, uh, Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Archaea were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. So it goes, it goes, and uh, if you you could go to James two fifteen and sixteen. Let's look at that. James two fifteen and sixteen. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and if one of you says to them, "Go in peace, keep warm and well fed," but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? James says. Notice he's drawing this analogy. James is in the the south in Judea and the Church of Jerusalem, he's drawing this analogy because there were people in this state. Notice, they needed help. A brother or sister was destitute, without clothes, without food. And so what did the early church do? They came together and they supported these believers. They looked after them through their means. So that is certainly appropriate uh, for us to understand and, and to and to do as well so so let's keep going 
point C, e eager to do all along. So Paul was committed to those suffering for Christ. Without this commitment, the early church would have been financially destroyed. One of the things the Jews did, um, and I'll just read 1 John 3.17 I have here as a note. Let's just see what it says before I make a comment. 1 John 3.17 says, If anyone <clears throat> has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? So the early, yeah, more from what we already understood. But what we should know is the Jews had an economy. And part of their economy was um, those, the temple worship and all of that was integrated into their economy. So if you were to be put out of the temple, you would be ostracized from your family, from your friends, could be from your employer, from the financial institutions that Israel had power over. And this is why it talks about uh, those destitute, uh, their property was confiscated, they were thrown in prison, on and on. There was a lot of screws that the Jews could turn in order to get these people to recant and to come back into the fold. And that's what was happening. They turned those screws. But the church responded to that and helped them so that the church would not be destroyed financially. So point D, we're moving forward here. Although they agreed and gave Paul the right hand of fellowship, it takes transformation by the spirit of truth to embrace the new dispensation. Right? It, we could see there were going to be problems, and there are problems today in the church. But we, as I said, we have the documentation, and that's what's important. It takes transformation by the Spirit of Truth. Will people be willing to have that transformation? We don't know. It's up to them. We can't force people to be transformed. It is up to them and their humility. Point E. It wasn't so much that they were transformed, they were forced to concede because God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So yes, they believed, they came together, and they agreed which direction the church should be going. And that's why I said it was not only good for Paul, to establish these things, but it was also good for the other apostles to hear them and to understand God's will going forward. Point F, Paul's next example shows the evolution of the new age in the minds of many. And I would say Peter, as we're going to focus on his failure in the next chapter, or the next section, which is verses 2, 11 through 21. I'm going to focus on P Peter's failure. I'm not showing you this to say Paul is better than Peter or Peter is better than Paul. I'm showing this because we have the record that this happened in the leadership of the church and how God resolved it. Hopefully it could resolve many uh, who talk that the new dispensation or the new age is not relevant in this age. And that we ought to go back to the Mosaic Law to think about how we ought to live our lives. 
which is all not the focus that we have in this age. So we concluded this section. We covered a lot of material. Um, but those three verses were important to the context that we understood. They were all on the same page. But we're going to, at this point, we're going to conclude today. We're going to come back next week. We'll talk more about uh, what happened to Peter in Antioch. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Father, for this time we've had. We thank you for those who have participated with their presence. We ask that you would give us wisdom according to the verses that we have seen, that we will know how to conduct ourselves in the world according to the new revelation that you have given us in Christ. All this we ask in his name. Amen. 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 Amen.